my oldest child who's here, uh, we're taking to college in two days, so I feel like I need advice on, on how do I survive taking a child to college. Uh, so if you have anything, if you have a sermon to give to me afterwards, I'd be happy to hear it. But uh, if you have a Bible with you tonight, we're going to be primarily in Ephesians 6. Uh, primarily in Ephesians 6. And I want to set the context. Uh, we're going to focus on the beginning of chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. But before we get there, I, I want to, instead of just jumping straight in, I want to talk about what Paul is talking about, where this topic about children and fathers comes up. If you go back, so if you've got chapter 6, go back to chapter 5. And he, in chapter 5, verse 21, he says this. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that comes in the context where earlier in chapter 5 and verse 1, he had told these Christians in Ephesus to be imitators of God. And then in verse 15, to be careful how they walk. And in that context of being imitators of God and being careful how they walk, he says, I'm going to go through some different relationships, and in these relationships, I want you to submit to each other. And then he goes through three relationships. The first one, husbands and wives. Then, uh, that's in chapter 5, then in chapter 6, he begins talking about parents and children, and then finally about masters and slaves. Again, all of these relationships, he says, he's going to say, you submit to each other. And in each case, he begins with the, 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 the side of the relationship, the, the wife, the children, the slaves, that in Greco-Roman society that they were in, they had no social status. And so the idea of submitting mutual submission was foreign to the culture that they lived in because, again, wives really had no social status in that society. Children had no social status. They had no rights. Slaves had no social status. But he's telling them within the Christian environment, the Christian way of life, the Christian perspective of the world, there is this idea of mutually submitting to each other in all of these relationships. So that's the context in which we find these instructions that Paul gives about the relationship between parents and children, specifically fathers. And this is what he says beginning in chapter 6, verse 1. I wanted to set the context because when Paul wrote this, we know this, right? There were no chapter breaks. This was a letter. This was a personal letter written to this congregation or congregations throughout Asia Minor. And, but chapters and verses sometimes can make us subconsciously think, hey, there's a new topic coming, but there's not a new topic. We're still talking about mutual submission. And in that context, he says, children, again, starting with the, the, the side of the relationship that has no social status, children had no rights in Greco-Roman society. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then in verse 2, he says, honor, still speaking to the children, honor your father and mother. And then he adds, this is the first commandment with a promise, quoting from the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And he says, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then in verse 4, he says, he turns to the fathers 
And he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, I tend to think of another one of Paul's letters as like a sister letter to the, the letter to the Ephesians, and that's the letter we call Colossians. And in Colossians, um, he echoes this same sentiment. He says, children, and this is chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then he says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now tonight, we're going to look at both sides of this relationship. And I understand that the children are not in here. But I believe that to be effective parents, we have to understand both perspectives. We have to understand both sides of the relationship and the standard to which children are being called to because we as parents are being told to instruct them in that standard that they're being called to. So we need to understand it from their side as well. Does that make sense? All right, I'm going to teach you something, okay, right off the top. This means yes, this means no, okay? We'll communicate with each other a little bit. So does that make sense? All right, good. Oh, you got some amens. Hey, that even, that's, even, that's even better. All right, so before we, I'm going to start off, though, with the second part, which is the fathers. We can take this to be parents more generically, but I'll, I'll explain to you in a little bit why I believe Paul singles out fathers. But the context of what he's speaking about when he talks to the children and to the fathers is you'll notice he says when he's talking to the children that this is in the Lord. And then when he's talking about the fathers, the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, he is talking about Christian households. Okay, So all of this is within the context of Christian households. Okay. So, with that in mind, let's talk about the fathers, the role of the father, the role of the parent. And again, he says in chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's that phrase, bring them up, raise them. We would say raise them, right? Bring them up. As they grow older, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, within that, there's two things that I want to give you. Okay, two, And I'm going to give you two words to help you remember what I believe is encapsulated with this idea of discipline and instruction. Okay, I believe that as parents or even grandparents, I know we've got grandparents in here, that we have within this discipline and instruction is that we have, first of all, responsibility. We have the responsibility to teach our children how to be adults. To teach them how to be adults. Part of, part of raising them is to teach them how to be responsible adults. Now that has both physical and spiritual implications, okay? When children are children, they behave like children, right? I mean, that's what we expect. They behave like children. They write on the walls. They carve on the furniture, right? I remember my kids, Sarah, who's 14, Kate, who's 18. When Sarah, Sarah, who's 14, when she was younger, her thing was jumping on the couch. I mean, non-stop jumping on the couch. So much so that we knew we wanted to replace that couch 
And we said, well, we can't do that until she gets out of this, right? But we have an expectation that as adults, we don't do that, right? I got my cousin back here, Dusty, Dusty and Lauren. If I came over to their house, I just turned 49 two days ago. If I came over to their house and I got in there and they said, hey, make yourself at home, and the first thing I did was I started jumping up and down on the couch, you would think I was nuts, right? Because that's something that children do. But as parents, we have to raise them to learn how to be responsible adults. They're going to behave like children when they're children, but part of our, part of our role, discipline and instruction, is we have to instruct them how to be adults as they grow older, right? I remember my oldest daughter, who's 18, Kate, who's the one that's going to college in two days. Please pray for me. Pray for her. Pray for me. When she was, I'm going to think she was around five or six, and Sarah was real little. They're four years apart. Sarah was real little. And I had the flu. I mean, like 105 fever, sitting in the lazy boy, like an ice pack on my head. I mean, felt awful. And my wife had to leave the house. And she told, and, and the little one, Sarah, was, was playing. She was content. And I remember when she left the house, she said, I got to be gone for a few minutes. And she told Kate, she said, just don't interrupt her. Don't do anything that makes her upset because then daddy's got to deal with it and daddy doesn't feel like dealing with it. Well, I fell asleep. And I was awoken to screaming, to screaming. And I roll over in the Lazy Boy and I look over and Kate has put Sarah on the floor in front of the pantry and is trying to climb on her to get to the top shelf. That's what kids do, right? You know, that's, I got my cousin back here, Kathy. If I went over to Ricky and Kathy's house and I took one of their grandkids, took, took Houston and said, hey, squat down so I can climb up here and get this out. No, we wouldn't expect that to happen, right? Because... There's a difference between the way children act and the way adults act. At least there should be, right? There should be. And it's part of our responsibility as parents and as grandparents to teach our children how to be adults. It's, our, it's part of our responsibility is to teach them how to be adults, how to you know, grow up and be adults. And part of that, this is a much more serious thing than jumping on the couch and, and using your sibling as a footstool, is we have to teach them about the pitfalls of the world, right? Because, I mean, the world is a minefield. Every turn, every corner, there is something waiting for them. And I just wrote this down. I don't want to read this sermon to you, but I, I wrote down, you got drugs, alcohol, greed, materialism, pornography. You could just keep going on and on and on. And part of teaching them how to be adults is to teach them that there are things in life that they have to avoid. Right? You teach them that when they're young. Because if you don't teach them that when they're young, what's going to happen? They're going to walk headfirst into those things. Many of us that are adults, we walked headfirst into that thing when we became adults, right? And we can tell them about the things to avoid. It is our responsibility. We have to be their example, have to be their guide in the things to avoid as they mature in life. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? That's when Paul says, raise them in the discipline and the instruction. Our job is to be teachers, to be instructors, 
Yes, to be disciplinarians as well, to set boundaries. That is our job to teach them, is the way I think of it, to teach them how to be adults, responsible adults. The second word that I want you to write down is something we have to teach them. Is we have to teach them, or the, the word that I have is the word relationship. We cannot choose for them to follow the Lord. I believe that God has made all of us creatures of free will and we all as individuals have to make our own choices as to who we're going to follow, who we're going to serve. But I believe within that instruction to, to provide discipline and instruction from the Lord is to provide an environment where that relationship with the Lord can be cultivated. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first of all, as, as parents, we have to be dedicated to the Lord. They have to see that in us. If they do not see that, that our relationship with God is the number one priority, it's going to be very hard for it to be their number one priority. If, if we are not showing them that we have a relationship with the creator of the universe and that's the most important thing in our lives. We have to show them that the word... The Bible, as we call it, is the only source of truth. You know, today, the kind of concept of truth seems to have flown out the window. And I think so much of that comes from we're not raising our children to understand that there is a source of truth. And maybe some of that comes from we're not showing them that in our own lives. If we're going to raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, part of that is to show a reverence and an awe toward the Word of God that is borne out by our own dedication to study and to teaching in, in raising our children, in raising our children. Teaching them how to take ownership of their faith. You know, I, 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 I won't tell you this whole story, but I made it all the way into early adulthood before I started realizing that like there's, there's spiritual things I haven't dealt with. I've been kind of living on the coattails of my parents' faith. You know, baptized when I was a teenager, grew up in the church, but it was, I was maybe mid to late 20s before I started going, wait a minute, there's things that I just haven't, I haven't dealt with. I haven't, I haven't sought the answers of difficult questions. I haven't dealt with the difficult issues of faith because I've never taken ownership of it. And I think as parents, we can help not only cultivate an environment where they can have a relationship with the Lord, but also cultivate an environment where they can begin to take ownership of their faith and not just live off of our faith, where they take ownership of their faith. Teaching them to be lights in this world. There's so much evil, so much negativity around. But both we can be an example and can teach them how to be lights, how to be different in the way we interact with people, how to be different in the way we view the world. And that I, I hope, as a, as a Christian parent raising children, that our number one goal is to be with our children in eternity, in glory, right? I mean, that's more important than any ball game, more important than any music event. My children are, I mean, hardcore into music. I've been to every musical thing you can possibly imagine. But I hope that they, that they get from me that that's not the number one thing in their life. It should not be the number one thing in their life. 
And if they're not getting it from me, then I am failing in the instruction to provide discipline and instruction in the Lord. And again, what are our children getting from us as examples? Examples in our own personal study habits with the Word of God. Example in our prayer habits. Example in our involvement in the activities of the church. What are they getting from that? What are we passing on to them by how we live our life? What are we showing them is the priority. Now, Paul doesn't just say to raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And again, I gave you those two things. Responsibility, teach them to be responsible adults. And relationship, cultivate an environment where they can have a, you know, where they, they can have a relationship with the Lord. But he also tells fathers, in this case, how to do it. Or more specifically, what not to do. Okay, So go back to verse 4 and go back to the beginning of verse 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So part of our role is to provide discipline, but at the same time not provoke our children to be angry at us, to resent us. So how do we do that? How do we walk that line of, of setting boundaries, of being disciplinarians, of teaching them to be adults. Because by the way, if you're teaching them how to be adults, you're going to set some boundaries that they're not going to be cool with, right? They're, you're going to set some boundaries that they're not going to be good with. They're going to be upset that they can't do such and such. Well, my friends can do such and such. So how do I do that without angering them, without causing them to resent us, without damaging the relationship between parent and and child, how do I do that? He says, "Children do not, or fathers do not provoke your children to anger." I think the reason why he picked fathers here is because of the culture. In the culture, the father was not just the head of the household. Okay, the father was not just the head of the household, but the father had dominion over the household. He was he was you know in domination over the household. He had absolute and total authority in Greco-Roman society to live, to, to, to be a father like a tyrant, demanding his, his way and, and, and casting aside any who wouldn't follow him, living, again, as a tyrant, as a dictator, as a dictator. And what Paul is saying is, it doesn't matter what society says is okay, what culture says is okay, I want you to provide your discipline and your instruction in a way that doesn't cause your children to resent you, to hate you, to, to be angry at you. So how do we do that? Again, I'm going to give you some words to, to go through some things. Things that we as parents need to offer our children as we are providing this structure for their lives, this, this discipline instruction, these boundaries that... that Four things to remember that we can offer to them. The first one of those things, and these are all going to st still start with the letter R, is the word rapport. Rapport. And I, I wrote down, it is critical that we be friends to our children. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a minute. Years ago, I heard a preacher who was also had a degree in psychology. So way more educated and credibil had more credibility than I do. But I was listening to him, and he said, I don't care 
if my children are friends with me or not. Now, what he was getting at was, I want them to do the right thing, even if it means that they don't think I'm their friend. And I understood why he was saying what he was saying, but that's not what I get from this. Because I believe that in order to deal with your children in such a way that they don't, are not angered with you, that they don't resent you is, you have to be the best friend that they have on this earth. That in the midst of providing this structure and these boundaries, that you would do absolutely anything for them. That to, to take care of them, the best friend that they have on this earth. And I, how do, what does this mean practically? Practically, it means you got to spend time with them. You got to spend time with them. Because I know one surefire way to make sure that your children resent you, and that is for them to believe that they are second class citizens in your life. If you spend your time focused on other things rather than them, they're going to resent you. They're not going to have a close relationship with you. And so I think part of doing it in such a way that you don't build up this resentment, build up this anger, is that it has to be a priority that you spend time with them. You spend time with them. I have made a ton of mistakes as a parent. I mean, if you wanted a three-hour summer series sermon, I could just sit up here and list all the things that I've done wrong. But I was determined, one of the things, when our children, when they were born, we first had Kate 18 years ago, I was determined, knowing had no idea the scale of the mistakes I would make, but knowing I would make a lot of mistakes, one thing I was determined was I am going to be involved in every aspect of their life. I'm going to go to every single event that they do. I had no idea if they were going to be into sports or music or, or whatever. No idea. But that was part of my mission as a father. I, knew, I didn't know what I was doing, but the one thing I knew was I am spending time with them. I'm spending time with them. Now you fast forward 18 years and I look to two days from now when I'm driving five hours and dropping her off. One of the reasons why that is so hard is because we have spent so much time together. FH mentioned that for 25 years I worked in corporate, corporate IT, the last 16 of those uh, in consulting. Part of that time I was a partner and owner with the firm I was with. And I would have colleagues that would brag about things that they were missing in their children's lives to do whatever professional event that we were doing. And it absolutely sickened me. Because there were things I had to miss because of work. And it killed me to have to do that. But I believe that one of the keys to following this instruction from Paul to not provoking your children to anger, to not making them resent you, is this word rapport, building a relationship with them, spending time with them, being the best friend that they have on this earth. Being the best friend that they have on this earth. The second thing, the second word I'm going to give you in, in how we do this responsibility and relationship is the word respect. And I mean showing parents, showing respect to their children. You go, wait a minute, isn't it supposed to be the other way around? Yes, it is. We'll get to that. 
But I also think there is an element of showing respect to your children. Because your children are going to have issues that pop up in their lives that through the lens of, of adulthood and trials and experience, we're going to go, well, that issue is completely and totally trivial. Right? I mean, every parent in here has dealt with that. You've got some, something that your, children is your child is terribly upset about, and you're looking at it going, that is nothing, right? This means yes, this means no. Anybody, am I the only one that's ever had that happen? I'll give you an example, okay? I'll give you an example. My daughter and I talked about that this morning, so I made sure it was okay with her, Sarah. Sarah is big time into musical theater. She started high school today. She's big time into musical theater, has been doing musical theater since she was little. And when she was in the seventh grade, the high school musical that, that they were having at her school opened it up for middle school students to be part of the production. Now, we mostly thought that if they're opening it up to middle school students, it's probably just going to be ensemble parts. Now, if you don't know theater, you don't know musicals or plays, Ensemble just means that you don't have, you're not a named character, you don't have lines, you're, you're part of group singing numbers, you're in the background, you know, doing things in the background, having little side conversations, but you're not actually a named part. We thought for sure that's what it was going to be, but she had her hopes set on that they're going to offer some named parts to the middle school kids. And she went to the audition. And I went to pick her up from school, and she came and got in the car, and I said, how'd it go? She said, Daddy, all of my hopes and dreams have been crushed. I mean, with the most serious face. And of course, what am I thinking? What are you talking about? All your hopes and dreams? But it was very real to her. It was very real to her. And the things that our children encounter that are big deals to them, that are not big deals to us, we still, as, as I gave you this respect, we still have to respect their perspective because they don't have our perspective. And if we are constantly hammering them with, well, that's not a big deal, that's nothing, get over it, I think they're going to they're build up a resentment and anger toward us if we do not give them an area of respect for whatever it is they're going through. Because kids, kids go through a lot, some significant, some not, but all feel significant to them. It all feels significant to them. They lose a friend when they're in school. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, right? We must be willing to give them respect. The next word I wrote down is the word reassurance. Not only do I believe that parents have to be the best friends that their children have on this earth, but also the biggest encouragers that they have. I mean, I believe that, that again, in building this building this relationship with our children, building this rapport that we are the biggest encouragers that they have. That they see us as a source of encouragement, not a source of tearing down. You know, hey, they didn't do good enough on the ball field. They didn't, they didn't do good enough in, in whatever it is, and so we just tear them down, tear them down, tear them down. What is that going to build? It's going to build anger, and it's going to build resentment. And it's probably not going to result in the things that you want it to result in. But instead, giving them reassurance, giving them encouragement. And the final thing that I wrote down is the word refuge. If we are wanting to raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, but not leading them to, to be angry and resentful toward us, we need to be a place of refuge. Where they feel comfortable 
talking to us about, and this goes back to that respect part, comfortable with us talking to us about whatever is bothering them, whatever is upsetting them, whatever they are going through, providing, again, a comfortable environment where they can share their fears, their anxieties, their struggles, providing that space for them where they can share that with us, where they can go for that respect, where they can go for that reassurance, providing that refuge for them. Now, I want to flip over for just a minute. We've got a few minutes left, 740, right? I want to flip over just for a minute and talk about the role of children. And again, the reason why I want to do this I realize that there aren't children in here, but if we're going to help them in following the instruction that they're given, we have to understand that as their parents, what they have been called to do so that we can help in building that within them. So if you go back to chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Again, the context here is the Christian family, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. We'll talk about that in just a minute. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Two things here, both beginning with the letter R. Okay, All, all words with the R. The first thing I believe that Paul is calling on children to do is to respond to their parents and respond in this way, with obedience. With obedience. Do what they tell you. Understand, with understanding. You know, he says, this is right. Do what, do obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Why? Why is that so important? Sometime, write this down. I want you to go read Romans 1, 28 through 32. I'm not going to have time to cover it tonight. Romans 1, 28 through 32, and 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Both of those writings, both from the Apostle Paul, he has a laundry list of sins. And most of them are things that you would go, whoa, those are big time sins, right? And right in the middle of all of that, in both of those cases, is disobedient to parents. Why is disobedient to parents in there with all those other humongous sins? Because if a parent is truly trying to raise their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, to be responsible adults, to have a relationship with the Creator, then... Being obedient to their parents is literally life and death, spiritually speaking, right? I mean, if we are, if parents, if as parents we are doing what we're supposed to be doing, then their following us is literally life and death, spiritually speaking, literally life and death. And so it's important that we as parents are doing what we're supposed to be doing. Because for our children, it can be the difference between where they spend eternity. And that is why I believe Paul is so emphatic, not just here, but in, in writing to Christians in Rome and writing to the young preacher Timothy who is leading the church at Ephesus and telling them that they got to avoid being disobedient to parents or the Gentile world. One of the reasons why they were so depraved is because they were disobedient to parents. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so Paul says that the response of children is to be obedient. But the reason why that matters, the only way that that really matters is if the parents are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Raising them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord to be responsible adults, to have a relationship with the Creator. And then, 
he tells them, just like he did with the fathers, how to do it. And I wrote down the word regard. Kind of like respect for the, for the parents to the child. This is the regard that the child has for the father, the child has for the parents. Honor your father and mother. What's, another, what's that a way of saying? Have respect. Hold your parents in respect. And so again, for us as parents, what is our responsibility? Live in a way that is worthy of them showing us respect. Be the example, the spiritual Christian example that we should be for our children with regard to how we treat the Word of God, how we prioritize our spiritual life, our prayer life, all of those things that we instill. And he says that, you know, this is the first commandment with a promise. This is alluding back to the fifth commandment. Again, Exodus 20 and then again repeated in Deuteronomy 5, the fifth commandment where he had told them that Hey, if you do this, it'll go well with you and you will have long life in the land. And I believe that it has a different connotation than what it did when Paul wrote it in in the letter to the Ephesians. A different connotation than when it was given to Moses in the the wilderness on Mount Sinai. Because they were looking forward to taking possession of a physical land. But I believe here Paul is saying, this is the best way to go on this earth. This is the best way to go on this earth. Live as children with obedience and with respect. That is the way for things to go best with you here, while you're here on earth, while you are in the household of your parents. I believe that it has different different implications, different implications today. And part of going back to this idea of, of, you know, again, thinking about obedience obedience and respect, to respond and to have regard for your parents. Why is that such a big deal? And I mentioned that if we are parents following what we're supposed to be following, that's why it's a big deal. But the world, you know, why the world out there is trying with all of their might to teach our children about where they should build the foundation of their life. You remember Jesus recorded, I think, two different occasions, I believe, Matthew 7, Luke 6. I don't think those are recording the same event. I think Jesus told the same story multiple times. But the wise man and the foolish man, right? Most of us have known that story since we were little and we knew the song, right? What did the wise man do? He built his house on the rock. It makes sense, right? And then you had the foolish man who built his house on the sand, she go, why would anyone build their house on sand? Well, Jesus wasn't just talking about building houses, right? He was talking about building your life. Why would anyone choose to build their life in a place where there is no foundation? Well, the world is trying to tell our children, our grandchildren, That there's all kinds of places where you can build your life that are going to make you happy, that are going to make you content, that are going to make you successful. If you just had more money, if you just had a better job, if you just had whatever it is, then it's all going to be great. And it's all a lie. It's all a lie. And many of us, myself included, find out by, by searching for happiness and contentment in all those places and not finding it. 
part of the reason why it is so important for children to obey their parents and for us as children, I mean, sure, as parents, to be worthy of that obedience is we have to teach them where to build their life. Where to build their life. So that they are building their life on a foundation that's going to survive into the next life. That is our responsibility as parents and why we need to understand why Paul is telling children to be obedient. Because we need to be worthy of that obedience, worthy of that respect by being the spiritual leaders of our family, cultivating an environment where our children will be followers of the creator of the universe. Let's close with a prayer. Almighty Father in heaven, Lord, Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together tonight. Father, we thank you for these words of the Apostle Paul uh, instructing how to show each other mutual submission in so many different relationships and, and hear about parents and children. We pray that you will be with all of us who are parents and grandparents. We pray that you will give us the wisdom, um, the wisdom to be parents that you would want us to be, Father, that raise up our children in the discipline and the instruction of you, Father, with you as our guide, that we are the examples that we should be for our children of following you uh, as the number one thing in our life, Father. We're thankful for the sacrifice of your son, uh, and we pray that, that, through, that we will help our, our children understand the significance of that sacrifice, the significance of what you did for us, the love that you had for us, Father, so that they can have a relationship with you as well. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.